Welcome back to WNHHFM, Dateline New Haven. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. This morning, I have the pleasure of bringing back to the studio one of New Haven's heroes, the person who surely makes our community tick, and he involves us. He involves hundreds, if not thousands, of New Haveners in welcoming some 500 refugees a year to our city. Makes, our, makes New Haven a haven for people rebuilding their lives and fleeing difficult situations elsewhere. It's Chris George, Executive Director, Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services, a.k.a. IRIS. And Chris, welcome back to WNHHFM. Paul, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. So, Chris, we were talking before we went on the air. There's a new federal policy in the United States, how we're going to resettle refugees. What is the change, and how does that impact or reflect how you do the work every day in New Haven? Mm-hmm. Well, in, in January, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken announced a new program called the Welcome Corps. And it is meant to remind people a little bit of the Peace Corps. Uh, and I was a Peace Corps volunteer, so I, I like the name. And what the Welcome Corps program is, it invites ordinary, extraordinary, everyday Americans to form a group, get a little bit of training, and then resettle or welcome a refugee family in their community. Now, up until now, for the past 40 years, if you were a volunteer and wanted to participate in welcoming refugees, you had to find a refugee resettlement agency that welcomed volunteer involvement, like IRIS. But not every refugee agency in the country believes that volunteers can do a really good job of resettling refugees. So a lot of volunteers were a little frustrated over the years. I mean, we welcomed, when I say we, refugee resettlement agencies for a long time have been welcoming, you know, hundreds of thousands of refugees. And we've done a pretty good job of providing the the basic services, housing, enroll kids in school, connect them to health care, help them find jobs, help them learn English. We have not done until recently a terrific job of inviting Americans to come in and participate in this great program. You might not be aware of that, Paul, because you live here in Connecticut and Iris has always involved a lot of volunteers. In fact, we kind of pioneered a community-based program. It's everything from run from refugees to people whose synagogues or churches sponsor a family to people who individually, if I'm not mistaken, take on a family to help them get settled and drive them places. And and, uh, is that kind of what we're talking about? Exactly. We call it co-sponsorship, where a group will come together, get a little training, and then we'll place the family with them, and they'll do everything. I mean, that's, synagogue that, had that, yeah. That's unusual. I mean, that doesn't happen oh. in every state. Most how many refugee agencies do don't do that. Oh, we have, we have more than a thousand volunteers spread all over the state. So that has been so successful, or this model has been so su- successful in Connecticut that the U.S. government wants to do it across the country. And they started this program called the Welcome Corps. So now at least you need a minimum of five people come together, get some training, 
and then a family will be placed with you. It's and unprecedented. Who's that? So Iris does that in New Haven. Like, so if you're if the State Department brings someone to send someone somewhere, like um, what they've done often, when people come back from Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, war, they know that they can trust Iris. They could say, Iris, you're going to find me someone to train or five people to train to take on the families. How's this going to help in places happen in places that don't have irises? That that's the big difference. In the past, you needed to be near a refugee resettlement agency like Iris to do this work. Now you don't. You can be anywhere in the country. You'll be trained remotely. Oh, remotely. By Iris. Oh, by Iris. Yes. I mean, we're part we're we're part of this kind of founding consortium that's running the Welcome Corps program. Oh, okay. Uh, we do webinars uh, twice a week with so how people many groups, from all over the world. How many irises are in the founding consortium? Um, there are about five organizations that have come together to run this program under the State Department. So the State Department is contracting with five groups, including IRIS, around the country to train people the way you do here, and you're so good at it. Remotely, you're going to train people all over the country to take in refugees. That kind of spreads out who takes in whom, which is a good thing, right? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's the most important innovation in refugee resettlement in, in 40 years. Really? And, oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a game changer. It's very similar to the way they resettle refugees in Canada. Canada has the world's most successful and largest private sponsorship program where Canadian citizens have been welcoming refugees as volunteers for decades. And when does this start, Chris? Welcome Corps is beginning now. Okay. I mean, you can jump on the website. And did you have to hire a bunch of people for this? We have hired uh, four or five more people to supplement the ones we've had on staff. And it's been, it's been going well. Okay. Um, what have you found so far? Like, where have you been training people remotely? From what states? You know, there's a group in California that has formed that we're training. Um, there is a group in Ohio. There's a group I just heard about in Wisconsin. I gave a talk in Montclair, New Jersey last Friday. There's a lot of enthusiasm there. So it's, it's happening all so over already the place. So already Iris has begun training people in California, Ohio, and Wisconsin potentially New Jersey, to do what we do here, which is to have clusters of people take on families coming in. Yep. What will this mean for the country? Will we be able to bring in more people than we were? Or is this not going to change the numbers? Is it going to change how, how we do the job to help people really succeed here? That is the perfect question. So for years, I've been promoting this model, this way of resettling refugees, because it is the best way to educate Americans about refugees, and to build public support. No better way to get people enthusiastic about refugees than to actually swing open the doors, invite them in to, to do the work. So it's going to dramatically increase public support, which is going to translate to political support for refugee resettlement. And you mentioned it, it's going to increase our nation's capacity to resettle more refugees. Now, how does that decision get made? How that's many the, we That's in? the Department of State, uh, which has, you know, the Biden administration has been committed to engaging more Americans in refugee resettlement. Even before they took office during their campaign, 
and now they're living up to that promise. We're talking to Chris George, executive director of IRIS, which helps more than 500 refugees a year, that's the correct number, correct? Come in and engages over 1,000 New Haveners in helping them. All across the state. Oh, oh, so all over the states, not just New Haven. Right, and we're working uh, a lot now with Ukrainians. What is going on with Ukrainians? Are there a lot coming here? There are. I mean, there was a community already, Ukrainian-American community, that was pretty set up to work with you, correct? Unlike some, let's say, it seemed to me it was larger than the Afghan-American community. Maybe I'm wrong because you don't always see them. But I always noticed how visible and, and established the Ukrainian community here is. Ukrainian and also the Polish community. Yeah. So, oh, okay. yes, so a lot of Ukrainians have, have, uh, have gone to New Britain. And, in fact, if you it's list... there's a Polish community in New Britain, correct? There is a Polish community, yeah. yep. Um, if you list the states from most Ukrainians resettled to least, Connecticut is about number 13 on that list. In so total numbers, not in, in total. So oh, wow. way out of proportion to its, its population, we're, we're resettling uh, a lot of Ukrainians. And is that still coming in? Is there still a lot of people fleeing Ukraine? They're still coming in. In fact, there are more Ukrainians who want to be resettled in the United States than there are sponsors who can accept them. So that, that's, I use that word sponsor. That's not exactly the way we use it in refugee resettlement. But the pathway that Ukrainians have been coming through to the United States is through the Department of Homeland Security. And just one individual, Paul, you, yourself, or I could just say, I want to sponsor a Ukrainian family. And if we can demonstrate we've got the financial capacity to support them for for five years, a Ukrainian family will be placed with well, us. What does it mean? You mean you pay all their expenses for five years? Yeah, that's that. It's a, it's a, it's a. Because I noticed that other people who help refugee families are not necessarily paying for their stuff, but they're driving to appointments. They're helping them work out problems they have, and whether it's getting a bank account or signing up for a training program or getting that's into a the, school. That's the best way to resettle people. The the Department of Homeland Security method of resettling Ukrainians, it was a great way to get a lot of people here quickly, but they did not require them to work as a group, the, the Americans welcoming the Ukrainians, and, and, and that's what Welcome Corps is doing, form a group. They did not require them to get training, the Ukrainian program. Welcome Corps does require training, and the Ukrainian program did not link up the American sponsor with an experienced organization to help them if they ran into problems. Welcome Corps does. All right, so let's hear for Welcome that's, Corps. That's, that's the best way to do it, is form a group, get training, and make sure you've got a professional organization that'll help you. Okay. Now, how long you what, did you form Iris? Are you the founding executive? No, Iris has been around since 1982. Uh-huh. It was created by the Episcopal Church of Connecticut, and it, and back then it was called Interfaith Refugee. I remember that ministry. Yeah. Yeah. We changed the name to reflect a more inclusive attitude. You know, we 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 wanted people of all faiths or no formal faith to come to Iris. And participate in the program. How long have you been running the organization? I've been there for 18 years, so since wow. 2005. Yeah, a and long then, time. And then you were there during the big uh, Trump administration battles. and There were ups changed? and downs. And is now, and, and the work was equally important in all those environments, but now do you feel you have a federal government that supports what you're doing and works with you? Definitely. There's still some 
areas that need improvement with the Biden administration. We're not delighted with um, their policies at the southern border. I wanted to ask you about that. So now, what what were his latest moves that were more restrictive? Because he yeah. there's a concern that we can't handle all the people coming over the border right now. Right. So on the one hand, they want to open up some legal pathways uh, for people from Nicaragua, Venezuela, Haiti, Cuba. Um, but at the same time, they're threatening to put people in detention uh, again, uh, as they were detained during the, the Trump administration, um, and turn people back and have them wait in Mexico, so, uh, which is not a safe place for people to, uh, to wait. So, What should the policy be? The policy should be to allow anyone who has a credible fear of persecution and that can be established in an, in an initial interview and screening process to come and wait in the United States for their asylum claim to be adjudicated. And of course, a lot of people are fleeing gang violence yeah. and other forms of violence and threats. There are a lot of people also economic refugees. And we have a tradition in our world, in our country of welcoming people as well who seeking a better life. What, what should the rules be for that in our capacity to handle it? Well, that's a good question. Uh, economic uh, refugees are not recognized as um, refugees under uh, international law. Um, the definition of refugee is someone who has fled persecution on the basis of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or their political opinion. So climate refugees and economic refugees are not yet included in, in that those protected categories. So right now the United States is not under legal obligation to allow climate or economic refugees enter, but our economy needs it. So it makes sense. Uh, well, economically. How do we get there politically? It's become such a divisive, divisive issue, not just become, it's become that way over the last decade or more. We used to be able to find, whether you call it a middle ground or compromises that take into account everyone's concern across party this didn't used to be a partisan issue is there a way out of this is there there is what's the and way it's out? refugee resettlement mm -hmm. involved in it's it's welcome core i mean welcoming refugees brings americans together i've, mm. I've seen it happen yeah. people across the political spectrum different faiths different colors different ages coming together to welcome a family from you know, the Congo or Syria or Afghanistan or Ukraine. And you begin to understand people from other countries, how they've suffered, and what has made this country great over the years is, is the incredible diversity and the, the talents. And that, people that go people through so bring. much to get here. They have skills that then at I mean, all these levels are of our tough economy. people. We yeah. want people with grit. We yeah. want someone who has managed to buy a ticket to Brazil, travel overland from Brazil through the Darien Gap in Panama, make their way through Central America, through Mexico, cross the border and surrender to border guards saying, I won't apply for political asylum. You know, those are the kind of people we need in this country who, you know, are determined, tough survivors. Do, um, do you have any dealings still with ICE? We heard a lot about ICE during the Trump administration, the Immigration Customs Enforcement, the people who try to get people on here illegally. Do you have any people 
you're helping through Iris lately who have been in the crosshairs of ICE who aren't supposed to be here or they're trying to deport? We, one of the big changes at Iris is over the past few years, uh, it started during the previous administration, is that we've swung open our doors and we're doing many, uh, we're doing a lot of services, helping a lot of people who are undocumented. Um, during the Trump administration, our policy was, look, if this administration is not going to bring a lot of new refugees to this country, we're going to do more with the people who are here, including undocumented. Yes, and, and uh, some of our clients, it's not as bad as it's been in the past, but some of our clients um, are threatened um, by ICE, could be arrested at any moment and deported. We're seeing well, do they less try of to, that. Oh, you're seeing less of Because I wonder if they try to kind of bother ICE, if they try to bother Iris as a way to get at people, or is it not that kind of thing? No, we've, not, we've had no 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 you know run-ins with uh with ice um uh, george chris you mentioned being in the peace corps i guess in 1977 you were in post-war lebanon gaza and the west bank are you th do you draw a line to the work you did then to the work you're doing now especially as you mentioned how you said welcome corps is somewhat hearkening to the peace corps um Yes, so I was a Peace Corps volunteer, 77 to 79, in a place called the Sultanate of Oman. And I think looking back on that, it's true. That launched me on a career of doing mostly international humanitarian work. I worked overseas for about 17 years. Wow. Spent a lot of time in refugee camps. Um, and then when I came back to Connecticut in 2005, wanted something that would my involvement in international work alive and found that there was refugee resettlement happening, that there was this small, sleepy little organization tucked away in the corner of Worcester Square called Interfaith Refugee Ministry uh, that was looking for an executive I'm sorry, director. What, what year, I'm sorry, what year did you take that over? That was in 2005. Oh, that's why you did tell me that. Yeah. And what motivates you to do that over so many decades? To be, what has motivated you to make helping refugees, whether you're doing it abroad and being in a refugee camp or doing it in New Haven, welcoming their families here. What motivates you to do this work? Well, there, there are a lot of reasons, Paul. Um, one, when you're working with people who have suffered so much and have fled persecution and have lost family members and have been forced to leave their, their homes, you want to do something that can bring at least some small bit of of justice to their lives to somehow compensate them in a tiny tiny bit for all they've lost and and that's that's refugee resettlement to give them a warm welcome and to help them regain some control over their lives i mean they've been pushed around and and persecuted and told where to go stay in that tent and come out only on, on you know, Wednesdays to get your rations and you can't go there, you can't work there, you can't do this, you can't do that. Here in the United States, there are freedoms and there are opportunities that they have not known for years. And it's what, what so story, satisfying. Before I let you go, you want to tell us a story about one person Iris has helped recently? Well, there's a woman from Ukraine with three kids who came through that Department of Homeland Security program. Her sponsor was a bit overwhelmed. They needed help, contacted IRIS, and we found a community group 
to help her and her sister and her three children. Now, this was an accomplished woman in Ukraine. She managed a restaurant, but we found her a job, and she's a server in a restaurant in Connecticut, and she loves it here. And she, you know, she pronounces it Connecticut, um, hasn't hasn't <laughs> caught on to the silent sea, but um, she's just, I mean, I talked to her the other day, and she's just uh, over the moon. She My guess is one day she might be managing her running restaurant again. She will soon be managing her own restaurant. Oh, Chris George, thank you for the work you do day in and day out. Since 2005, running Iris, Immigrated Refugee and Immigrant Services, so happy to hear that the Biden administration has adopted your model and that you're right in the thick of it, one of five groups nationwide, helping bring this community embrace model and support model to Wisconsin, California, Ohio, and who knows where else. Thank you, Chris. Always great. Thanks, Paul. We're going to take a break here, folks, on Dateline New Haven with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew, How It Feel to Be Free. Happy Pi Day, folks. We'll be back after the break with State Treasurer Eric Russell talking about baby bonds on WNHH New Haven's home for community radio. Wait, I, I wanted to bring up one other point before we leave. It's Pi Day, which is the day we, we celebrate Pi, which is the um, which is the never-ending string of decimals that begin with 3.14 that represent basically how you calculate the area of a circle. And it's Pi Day because it's March 14th, 3.14. And in honor of Pi Day, we're going to play a different song. I'd forgotten. Don McLean's American Pie. So, uh... In honor of Pi Day, here's Don McLean. A long, long time ago I can still remember How that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver With every paper I'd deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step 